welcome to the Epiphany Movement podcast. To learn more about the Epiphany Movement, visit us online at epiphanymovement.com. Um, two things that I learned in youth ministry. Number two, uh, like these are the two things that I learned in youth ministry. So here they are. Um, when I'm at another church one day, I'll say, these are the two things that I learned from being my first pastor. And so, but you're going to get the youth ministry because, you know, here we are. The two things that I learned in youth ministry. Thing number one, I learned that um, if you're, I'll say it like this. You know when you study for a test, you can know the test. If you like, remember when you were in school, you can know the test super, super, super good. But even if you know the test, when you're 15 minutes before you take the test, you're still going to be like kind of freaking out, looking over your notes. I learned that in ministry, it's the same way that I can know what I'm going to speak. I can know like the topic that I'm speaking. I can be confident in my notes. But I don't know if y'all have ever seen like I I I don't like to be one that kind of reads for my notes and like takes notes. I try to remember everything so I can spit it out. So even though I know my material, I find I found myself in youth ministry always spending like 15 minutes. I'd be like, I know this stuff, but I'd just be reading over it and freaking out. I'm like, okay, remember this, remember this, remember this, and all the youth would come in, and they'd be like, Drake, how are you doing? Drake, how are you doing? Ha, ha, Mr. Donnie, you know, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. They'd be trying to talk to me and develop relationship, but I'd just kind of be like, uh, I, I love y'all. Let me study this, and then after, we can kind of go. And I realized that was my biggest failure in youth ministry, is I did not take the 30 minutes before the service started to build my relationships, because they was wanting that relationships. I was trying to study for my sermon. Does that make any sense? And so that was probably the, my biggest lesson that I learned in youth ministry, was to take that time before, and, and I try to apply it here to where, like, even like, even tonight, I could have been, um, like, in there, ah, oh, freaking out, seeing my nose, but I, I, I know it's fine, I, I, we'll, we'll get through this, but developing that community and getting to know y'all, I said, well, I want to do that better here. Second thing I learned is this, and this is going to be one-liner, so um, take it how you want it. The right message, the right message to the wrong crowd is the wrong message. Okay, let me say that again. The right message, pretty good, good, good message. But if it's to the wrong crowd, it is the wrong message. And I learned that the hard way because I would get so energetic and go preach a message, but it'd be to the wrong crowd and be the wrong message. And it's not something they needed. And so I had this message. I was super excited out on my heart, but I know going into that, hey, that's not the crowd that needs that message. Let me get something else. I learned that the hard way, but second rule that I learned. All right. What I want to do, and that was just extra, I don't know why I said all that. Um, it was just, I don't know, wrong message to the wrong crowd. Here we go. All right, a review of everything that we've learned so far. So this is what I want to start out with today, a review of everything we learned. The very first day we learned, we talked a little bit about this, right? We talked about God's Word. We talked about specifically how can we believe in God's Word. I mean, after all, hasn't it been corrupted? Hasn't it over the hundreds of thousands of years, hasn't something been, um, you know, changed? I mean, didn't King James, like, rewrite it? Didn't Constantine um, kill some people because of it? I mean, Nero lit people on fire in the gardens because of it. So how do we know that we have the right word? Well, we talked about two things. Remember this? We talked about, it starts with the Q. We talked about the, the qua, quality, yeah, yeah. We're going to go, okay, quality. Okay, that's the best I got. Um, and then we also talked about the what? Quantity, okay, the quantity. And let's go, um, okay, um, let's go quantity first. What did we discover about the quantity um, of, of, we have these things called, uh, it starts with the M. It's a copy of this. It's a copy, a manuscript. Yes, exactly. So we have these manuscripts. And if we have, how, about how many manuscripts of Greek do we have? Roughly speaking, okay, 5,789, okay, roughly. And But then how many other manuscripts do we have in Latin, which became the, Fran like the lingua franca, the language of the day? We have about 10,000 of those, and then we have about 10,000 in other languages like Gothic, Ethiopic, Aramaic, Arabic. So we have total, we have somewhere between, I would say, 25,000 manuscripts. Now, um... We, diff, different manuscripts disagree, right? And so where one manuscript may say this and another manuscript says this, what is that difference called? Do you remember this? It starts with a V. 
A variant? Yeah, a variant. Exactly. I think that's what you said. A variant. And so the, uh, of these 25,000 manuscripts, we have a bunch of different variants. About how many variants do you remember that we had? About how many variants do we remember that we had? Uh, 400,000. Yes, absolutely. Okay, 400,000. 400,000. Thank you. That's awesome. Okay, 400,000 variants. We have 25,000 manuscripts. And so how many words do you remember? This is, if you remember this, I'm going to throw something at you, and I'm going to go get you some glasses, and I'm going to say, you are a nerd, okay? If, if you wear glasses, Mr. Randy, you're a nerd. So that's fine. We can all accept that. Here we go. How many words about roughly are there in the Greek New Testament? Anybody know? Okay, good. That's good. I'm glad that you did not know that. If you would have, like I said, huge nerd. Okay, about, I am a huge nerd, nerd. about 140,000, okay, about 140,000 words in the New Testament. We have over 400,000 variants of all these 25,000 manuscripts. So if you're running on the math on that, that's about how many variants per word? How many variants per word? About 2.5, okay? About two and a half variants per word that is in the New Testament, you have about 2.5 deprivations of that word, over 400,000. And so when you see that, you can say, in our New Testament, we only have, we only have 140,000 words, but yet we have over 400,000 different variants in, in those. Well, why is that? Well, remember, we have over 25,000 manuscripts. And so then we went from there, we went to quality, because this can be scary, right? It can be scary. By the way, um, I gave this figure, and this can help you um, a lot. If you took the leading Greek theologian of the day, who was, let's say, Livian Suetonius, then you had um, Tacitus, and you had um, Levi. So if you had those three, four people, if you took all the works, which is how we know the most that we know about Greek theolo like theology and history, how we know about the Romans, if you took everything that we know, literally about 95% of what we know comes from those people, if you take everything that they wrote about Greek and Roman, all of which we know, and you stack it together with all their manuscripts, how high will it go? Is that about four foot? They're about four foot, about four foot high, about four foot high. If you stack the manuscripts of the Bible on top of each other, a mile in the air, a mile in the air, that's a plethora of riches, or the technical term, bunches. We have bunches of manuscripts. Okay, but then we went from there, we went to quality, right? The quality of these, of these variants. Because this is still a scary number. 400,000 variants, and a variant, once again, is where one manuscript disagrees with another manuscript. So where one manuscript may say, um, Randy is awesome, another manuscript may say, Randy is Awful, okay, and so now you have these two, like, oh, which one is it? Is it awesome or awful? That's a, that's a variant. We have over 400,000 of those. How do we reconcile that? Now, obviously, we'd be like, well, duh, we know Randy is awesome. That's why we know, right? But how do you deal with that? And that's what we want to talk about, quality, okay? Quality. And so here we go. Here we go. Do you remember the first type of quality of variant? It was spelling, spelling, Almost, yeah, all, you're so close. You said differences, yes, absolutely, okay. We'll write um, SD, okay, an SD card. No, spelling differences, right? And so what, what do you mean when you say spelling differences? If you spell, uh, let's just take, let's give an English example. We use this other day, color, right? In English, you can spell just C-O-L-O-R. But if you spell it, and you're from England or Great Britain, you spell it, and you put a U in there, right? You put a U in there, but both are correct, okay? And in Greek, Paul, or let's say John, John can be spelled with an N, or it can be spelled like this. Two N's. Both are correct. Both are correct. Neither one are wrong. Both are correct. Okay, it's preference. Spelling differences. Do you remember what percent of those 400,000 are spelling differences? What percent? 75% of the 400,000 
are spelling errors? No, differences, right? Differences, good. Okay, number two. Um, yes, Drake, get on with the new stuff because we are about to fall asleep because we just, come on now. Okay, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. Number two, uh, word order, right? Word order. Word order. Do you remember Yoda, Yoda, Yoda from Star Wars that would be like, um, think not, try, don't, do, or whatever he would say? I don't know. Do you know what I'm talking about and how his word order would be so different than what we're accustomed to? In Greek, word order means a little bit. No, it means nothing. You brought some, I remember some, uh, no, no, Mr. David, um, Miss Leanna. Okay, Mr. David and Leanna had some, um, 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 I think they were from Guatemala, um, uh, Je- Jesse and, uh, Jesse and Joel, 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 yes, Joel, they came and, um, where are they from? Honduras, okay, they were from, I'm sorry, they were from, don't call me Guatemala, Honduras, 100%, okay, yes, absolutely, we make better coffee, okay, so here they were, and, and I asked about their Spanish language, do you know in Spanish word order doesn't mean anything hardly either? Why? Because the endings tell everything about the sentence, right, and Greek's the same way, and so you can say something like, Jesus loves Paul, how many different ways can you say this, do you reckon? Over 500 different ways in Greek you can say it. You can say it. Jesus loves Paul. The Jesus loves the Paul. The Jesus loves Paul. Jesus loves the Paul. Paul the Jesus loves Jesus. I don't know. You can say it a bunch of different ways. Over 500. Um, 29% of those are spelling differences and word order, not affecting anything. Anything. The other 1% are what we call, do you remember this? Meaningful but Meaningful but not viable. Meaningful but not viable. So what does that mean? That means that, um, remember we took all oh, First Thessalonians 4.12, I believe that's it, and how First Thessalonians 4.12 says this, we became gentle among you. Do you remember this? But in the 14th century, they found another manuscript that says, it was a Latin manuscript that said, we became like, Horses among you. And it's how it's like a one-word difference. And it's only one. Out of the 25,000, only one says we became like horses. So you say, well, it's meaningful because it's different. But obviously we know that it's not horses. It's gentle because 24,999 say we became gentle among you. And so 4.5%, 4, 4.5, 80% roughly of that 1% are meaningful but not viable. And only, and only meaningful and viable, only one-fifth of one percent, only one-fifth of one percent is this, meaningful but viable. Give me a good example, Drake. I'll give you a good example. Um, if you turn to the ending of, of Mark, turn, if you turn to the ending of Mark, turn to the ending of Mark, <clears throat> This is the longest one that we have, by the way. This is the longest one that we have. Longer ending, longest one that we have. <clears throat> I think, I believe this one was, uh, could be 12 verses, I believe. And the next longest one, there's two that are 12 verses. The next longest one is simply two verses. And then um, everyone besides that is about four words or less. Four words or less. Most of them being one to two words. So in your Bibles at Mark 16, it says um, the shorter ending of Mark, and it has a little parentheses. Do you see that? Do you see that? It says shorter ending of Mark, and it has a parentheses, and then it says this. It says, it's in verse 8, the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said to themselves, this is in verse 8, nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. And it has a line under that in my Bible, and it says this, most ancient manuscripts mark um, conclude with verse 16-8. Later manuscripts add one or both of the following endings. And so it has the shorter ending of Mark and the longer ending of Mark. So what does that mean? That means you probably have 80% manuscripts that say um, they end with verse 8. 
And then somewhere, somebody came along and was like, that's no way to end it. I'm, I'm looking at the Gospel of Luke. I'm looking at the Gospel of Matthew. Let me just write the ending tomorrow, and then I'll send it on to this church or this church or this church. That's probably what happened. But that would be a type of meaningful but viable, because a lot of manuscripts, probably 20% of manuscripts, have one of these two endings, the shorter ending or the longer ending. And so it's meaningful because we don't know what, how was it written originally. We don't know. But that's just something for you. That's just an example. And so how many of these meaningful but viable touch, like, is Jesus really, is he alive? Is he, did he raise from the dead? How many of these touch our me- deep meaning in theology? Okay, how many of these? Zero. A goose egg. And even Bart Ehrman, who remember we talked about was the biggest biblical critic who wrote Misquoting Jesus, who Misquoting Jesus and Why, he said this, he said, not one Christian doctrine is affected by any of the 400,000 variants. Not one. To which we go, but where was that found? Does anybody remember where that was found? Was it found in the middle of the book, the front of the book? No. Where was it found? In the appendices, which nobody reads, except weirdos and nerds like this dude. Okay, all right. So let's scratch that. Then we talked about something much more. Um, hopefully you'll be like, yes, I'm so pumped up about what we talked about next. Okay, we talked about, does anybody remember what we talked about? Let's just give it that. Like Somebody wants to be bold and say, yeah, I remember what we talked about the next Sunday. Um, anybody know? No, that was like three weeks ago. Okay, we talked about um, old, old Testament. Okay, that's what we talked about. The Old Test. Oh, yes. Amen and hallelujah. Um, We talked about the Old Testament, and we said, how many commandments are in the Old Testament? Does anybody know? Commandments in the Old Testament. Okay, that's there, there are the Ten Commandments. How many um, laws, that would be a better word, are there in the Old oh, 613. Boom! Oh my goodness. On fire! Okay, there's 613 laws in the Old Testament. How. You did, you did. You said 631, it was close, Mr. Mack. All right, which was still pretty good. It was still pretty good. 613. How many say um, are sins of, of, of commission? Like, it's, they say this do not do this. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not covet. How many say that? Yes, yes. The, the days of the year. That's an easy way to remember it. 365. Good. <laughs> Do not do. Okay? Boom. And if you're running the math on that, how many are then 613 minus 365? How many would have me say, like, do these? Anybody know? Uh, like, hold on, let me get my calculator out. I'll save the trouble. 248, 248, I believe that's right. Um, okay, yeah, I think that's right. It says, do this. Sins of uh, omission, I guess, or commission, one or the other. 365, 248, total, there are 613. We call the Ten Commandments probably the, the pinnacle of them all. But what did we learn about them? And all the 613, do, when we read the Old Testament law and we're reading them, do we obey them anymore? Should we obey them? Should we even read them? That's the question that we wanted to answer. And we did that by saying there are basically, there are basically, Three types of laws, to which I said, no, I think there are more than that, but theologians want to put things in nice little categories so they fit so beautifully together. And we can say, oh, 613, they're in one of the three things. And I'm like, no, you can't do that because there's just, okay, but I'm not going to get into that. Um, that's fine. First one would be called, do you remember this? The, the, the moral Moral law. Yes, good. Okay. Um, thank y'all. You make me feel so good about... By the way, you only retain about 7%. Studies show about 7 to 14% of what you hear. And so that's why I'm kind of reviewing. Because uh, the 7% you got, just adding on to your 7%. Hopefully. Okay, here we go. Um, and I know this is a good refresher for you. Like, oh, yeah, we were talking about that. Awesome. Okay. You have the moral law. Um, let's give an example. Will somebody give me an example of a moral law? A moral law? Or say what it is. I give an example. Commandments. Do not kill. Boom. Okay, that would be a moral law. Do not kill. Okay. All the Ten Commandments except one you know, are, are moral law. Do you know the one that would not be moral law? 
And I see, I, I, even, I even say that, that, that they all are more law. I believe that they all are. Um, some theologians want to say, or actually the vast majority of theologians say, the fourth commandment is not a moral law. Do you know the fourth commandment? For remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Would you say that was a moral law? I think it is because Paul says what? There's no day. You don't have, it, Jesus says man was not met. The Sabbath, no, man was not made to feel the requirements of the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. And so I think there is something in that to say, hey, like, we should observe the Sabbath. It don't have to be Sunday or Saturday or Friday or any day, but there should be a day that we set aside as, like, Jesus, I don't know. But regardless, Ten Commandments, we'll go with this. Ten Commandments are moral law. There's a second kind. Can you think of a, of a moral law that's not in the Ten Commandments? Tough, ain't it? We'll keep going. We'll keep going. Second kind, do you remember this? Civil, civil, yes, civil law. Okay, good. So there's a civil law. And give me an example of the civil law that we have today, like our civil law. What would that be? Our civil law. What are, what's our civil law? Y'all know? The American con. Constitution, right? And and so if it says that it is against the law for Drake to run a stop sign, if Drake passes through a stop sign, then I have broken the civil law, right? Okay, good. And so what do we see in the Israel? Like, give me an example of a civil law that we see in Israel. You gave me an ex amazing example last time. Exactly. Yes, good. So he quoted um, Deuteronomy, uh, oh, I don't know, Deuteronomy 20. Um, I, okay, he, he quoted uh, Deuteronomy 22.1. He quoted Deuteronomy 22.1, and he said, and it reads something like this, if you're walking down the street and you see a unique feet and somebody's oxen is roaming the street, no, I'm just kidding, and you see somebody's oxen walking around, then do your due diligence and get the oxen and take it back to your friend, your enemy, whoever it is, take it back to them. And that was a civil law. But me and Mr. Billy said, you know what we can do? We can take that exact law and we can apply that to a moral law to how we can live. And, and at the end of Deuteronomy does that because it says it's not only oxen. Remember how it said, and everything, anything that you find that doesn't belong to you, return it. And so like, we said that out in our, in our lives that when Chance Rawls, who's my best friend, he was, I believe we were about 10 when this happened, he left his new, shoot, I can't remember what it was. I think it was flip-flops. He left his brand new flip-flops in my house, and I went up there, and I was like, oh man, so he left those flip-flops, you know, buddy. He went home, and he never knew that he left his flip-flops. Now, I had never read this first, but even if I did, I still kept them. And I slipped them on my feet, and I wore them for about three months until he comes over and he says you wear my flip flops uh huh yeah you left them here you go you can have them oh, they stink now I don't want them I don't know he probably did get them I can't remember anyways you see how we can apply that to, to your life so we can find moral law even in the civil law uh, uh, one, maybe one more um, example um, it comes from um, uh, uh I think it comes from Leviticus 20:13, but it's about um, homosexuality. And it says if you find somebody, like if someone, if a man sleeps with another man, or if a woman sleeps with another woman, it actually doesn't say woman. It just says if a man is caught sleeping with another man, he must be what? He must be. I'm going to take up this this stone, and I'm going to do what with it? I'm going to hurl it at them. So does that mean if we were driving down the street and see two guys holding hands, we should just have a big pile of stones sitting in our car? We should run them with it down. Hey, boom, and just start throwing them. No, that's probably not what that means, right? Um, because why? Because the civil law was made for who? Who was it made for? It was made for um, the, 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 the Jacob's name was turned to what? Jacob's name was turned to what? Israel? And it was made for Israel. Yeah, it was made for Israel. Made for the Israelites. It was made for the Hebrews. It doesn't really, um, 
Every, everything about the civil law doesn't apply to Americans today. I mean, we don't go around hurling stones at people um, who, 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 who don't, uh, who commit adultery or any of the things, homosexuality. But we find morality in that, don't we? Even in um, Leviticus 20, 13. Because it says, uh, it says, you know, if a man lies with another man, that, that's wrong. And we, we can see that. And we say, so, so even, even that can be like, boom, that's actually a moral law. So it's punishment, not so much, but the fact that it's wrong. Yes, okay. Last type, do you remember this one? Ceremonial. Yes, ceremonial, ceremonial, ceremonial law. Uh, we won't take much time with this, basically just to say um, ceremonial. Okay, well. Leave it like ceremonial law. Um, can you think of an example of this? Passover. Okay, good. Yeah, awesome. Gosh. Okay, come on. Okay, come on. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. They, they do, but it's not to the extent in which they used to. Um, I'm sure that you could find a Jew in the world who does it literally as the Bible says do it. But for the most part, the Jewish community, they'll do like a Passover feast where they, where they um, kill something and then lay it before them. But it's not like every time I go out and lie, I'm going to pick up a stone and go in a slingshot out of dove to kill it. It's, it's a year thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know because they would all have different names. Just like how you can call a like a Protestant, for example, a Protestant versus a Catholic. Well, like if you look at our denomination, like under the Protestant denomination, we have Baptist, Southern Baptist, we have Methodist, we have like so. There's a bunch of different out like like out off branches of that. So just because they're hairs in this, like I know a Jew that he claims he is a Jew, but it's like he's a Christian Jew is what he says. Cause he, he believes in the Bible, believes everything about it, but he does like wear a little hat and stuff like that. But um, that's right. So it, w- it, would g- it would vary person by person. So I think that's probably um, what you, you would just have to ask a certain person. But for the most part, I would say, yeah, you would be right. You would be right. Um, so... Um, Let's see. So yeah, Passover, that would be under the ceremonial law. Did that answer some of your question, by the way, uh, a bit? If not, feel free to ask, and I'll point you in the right direction. Where I work at, we, we deal with earth movement. Okay. And we do a lot of business with the Okay. So they would be what they would be literal. They would be to the fullest degree that I think that you probably could, living in the 21st century, following the the Jewish like way of life. If that makes any sense, they would be doing like like they look at this, but it's not called the Bible. They don't call it the Bible why? Because they only have what testament? They only have the Old Testament. What do they call it? Do you, do you know what they call the Old Testament? They call it the, the Torah, a, but the, um, shim, um, sh, uh, um, they have a special name for it, but they, they follow that. They don't send their kids to school. They teach them themselves. And they only let them go to the seventh grade, and they put them to work. Oh, really? Oh, wow. That is, I'm surprised you can do that by the child labor laws, even in America, actually. And see, I, See, and this is new to me because. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, what's the church called? Is it a Jewish Orthodox church that they go to, or is it something else? I figured it'd be probably something else. I bet it's a temple. Mm-hmm. He, he told me that they, they kind of go like the Baptists. Hmm. He said, if you came in our church, 
Um, well, uh, right. Okay, so I can speak a little bit to that. I've been to a Jewish um, uh, like church before, just because I wanted to go and see what it was like. It was called Bethel. Um, I like, um, but they, it was like a temple. Anyways, it's in Jackson. I walked in there. Actually, it was Beth. Beth Israel, yes, that's it. Yeah, that, that's exactly what it was. Beth Israel, and so I walked in there, and it was a lot of the same, similar things. They had singing, but their singing was in Hebrew, and they also had the piano, which they she could jam out. At the end, they all drank wine, <laughs> and like they got turned. I was like, all right, this is what I'm talking about. This is the college go, woo! And mm, I said they got turned, not really, but they, um, it was it was interesting to say the least. And then. Let's see. They took the they took these little things. They would cling them down the aisle like this. Uh, it's incense, and they would go down the aisle, and then they would go get the the Torah, which and the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, which they had. They have it right here, and this is like fifty thousand dollars that they spend on an actual scroll of the Ten Commandments. They would get it out, and I mean they were very reverent with this, and they would walk it down the aisle, and people would come down the aisle and maybe say a prayer on it or lay a head on it, and they would just walk that down, and they would come back down, and the the priest would put it out. He would read from it. It was all in Hebrew. He would take it out and he would say it in English. This is what it meant. But that's about all I can speak to that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's different. It's different. I would say it's different than a Baptist church, but you're not going to be like, oh, I'm in a totally different world. You would recognize how this is the Bible. I know kind of a little bit about what's going on. So you have all these laws. Are we in Israel anymore? No, we're in America. So um, that... Are you supposed to obey the moral laws? Like, we are supposed to t obey the Ten Commandments. Boom, okay, we got that. And then, speaking of ceremonial, Jesus became a high priest. Do you remember this? Jesus became a high, high priest, so we're good there. Um, so, even in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, let's see, if you're offering a sacrifice, and you're supposed to do this, do you remember when he says this? If you're offering a sacrifice at the altar, but yet you remember that um, someone has something against you, then leave your sacrifice at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, and then come back and offer your sacrifice to, 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 to God. Ceremonial law. Jesus reverses it. He, he, another one. Another one. He's walking by. Jesus is. And you're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. Nothing. I mean, in the Old Testament, you you sit there, excuse me, and you burp and say, excuse me, on the Sabbath. But that's it. And you breathe and watch. I don't know. They didn't have TV back then. So they just sat there, I guess. I don't know. And they didn't hardly do anything. They would go to church and worship. But that's about it. You were not supposed to do any work. And Jesus is coming up. And he looks at this guy. He's a leper. And the guy reaches out his hand. He says, Jesus, will you heal me? And he looks at the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And he says, what do you say? Do you think I should heal him or not? And they're all like, um, you better not heal him. It's the Lord's Day. It's the Sabbath. And so then he says, well, I have a question. If any of you have a donkey and your donkey goes to get water but he falls in the well, will you get him? And then the people were like, well, of course we'd go pull the little donkey out of the well. Of course we would. And so Jesus scratches his head and says, aren't people more valuable than donkeys are? And they say, well, okay, you have a point. And so then he goes, I will show you that the Lord, or he says, son of man, is Lord even over the Sabbath. He says, stand up. And preaches his hands out, your sins have been forgiven. And then they say, this is blasphemy. This is blasphemy. And he says, no, I'll show you that the Son of Man can forgive sins. And then the guy with leprosy is gone, right? Do you remember that story? you remember that story? So um, it's, it's just Jesus saying, hey, look, there's morality in the, in, 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 in the ceremonial law for the most of it. Anyways. Okay, so all that to say, when you read the Old Testament, you're reading for the morals behind it. You're reading for the morals behind it. So when we read something like Deuteronomy, we say, hey, I shouldn't take um, chances, flip-flops, when he leaves them at my house. Okay, last week, that was a dicey week. I enjoyed last week. I hope you did too. Woo! Last week, we talked about a little bit about what? We talked about a lot of stuff. We namely said, came along, we talked about the New Testament. We basically came along with the idea that we can have different views on 
on what's a sin or not. And we looked about drinking and, 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 and gambling and a couple of different, different things I can't remember. And some people say, I think it's a sin to do this. And other people say, I don't think it's a sin to do this. And so is that biblical? Can that be okay? Like, can we get our Bible and read them and say, hey, you know what? I think it's, this is a sin. I, I, like, how, how can that be? And here's what I would say. I would say, look at... Um, um, Look at Samson. Samson was told what? He was told never cut his hair. But Samson was told not to cut his hair. And I talked about Paul last week, but that example really frustrated me all week. I said I want to find a better one. So I did. I found Ezekiel 5. And do you remember what Ezekiel was told to do? He was told to take a razor and to shave his head and to shave his beard and to weigh it. So for Ezekiel not to do that would have been a what? sin because God called, told him to do it. But for Samson to cut his hair, to cut his hair, which is something different, it would have been a sin because God told him to do something. But God also told Samson not to what? Exactly. And who else did God tell not to drink? JB, Justin Bieber. No, I'm just kidding. John the Baptist. Right? <laughs> right? Val? That, that is a good point. That is very true. And then you have, to, you have to come up, you have to, exactly, and even Jesus says that because he says, um, you've heard, like, if you make a vow before the Lord, obey that vow. But I say don't make a vow before the Lord, just say a simple yes or no. So exactly, you're right, right on. But for them to drink would have been a what? It would have been a sin. But, but even Paul looks at Timothy and he says, drink a little wine because you need it for your stomach. And we get, we have, examples of Jesus drinking throughout Scripture. And some people say, well, that the wine wasn't alcoholic. Yes, it was alcoholic. I'll show you. Because do you remember that example where he says, um, um, he's talking about the, the wine and wineskins. He said you cannot take old wine and put them in new wineskins. Why? Because they'll bust. Do you know why they would bust? Because they had alcohol in it. Because they had alcohol in it. And that's what would cause the wines and the wineskins to bust. Okay, so... Um, Anyways, that goes, just goes to show that you can have different beliefs. You can have different beliefs. And God can call you to something that he doesn't call somebody else to do. Like God has called me to be a pastor and to come up here and speak. And if I didn't do that, you know what that would be? A sin because this is what God called me. God has called some of you to be an amazing school teacher. God has called some of you to be prayer warriors. God has called some of you to be generous in ways that I can't be generous frankly, because I'm broke, right? But you have that possibility and that capability, and that's what God's calling you to. And so do what God's calling you to do. And if you still have a problem, you're like, I don't understand, I would say go read Romans 14 or 1 Corinthians 8, because they both say the same thing, that, like, to eat food sacrificed by idols. Oh, just go read it, okay? Boom! We'll leave in that. Today, <laughs> what we finally are coming down to is this. We're looking into the New Testament and remember how last week we asked the question, is Jesus coming back before the terrible tribulations? And some people raise their hands and other people raise their hands for yes and no. And we asked the question in, first Gen in, Gen in Genesis chapter uh, 1, was it a literal six days that Jesus made the world or was it a figurative six days? And we also asked, can a, uh, can a demon possess a believer? But we turned that question around and said, well, can the Holy Spirit possess an unbeliever and him stay an unbeliever? Well, that's how I try to ask the question. I didn't do a very good job. Do you remember that? And so as believers, can you have different beliefs even though we have the same Holy Spirit? So Mr. Donnie, can you believe in a, in a post-millennium rapture and I believe in a pre-millennial rapture and then we got uh, Mr. Billy believing in an amillennial rapture theory. Can we all say, can we have Mr. Sammy believing in once saved, always saved and can we have um, uh, Miss Amy believing not once saved, always saved. Can we have different people believing in different things, even though, hello, we all have the same Holy Spirit. Is that biblical? And where do we go to prove that it's biblical? I think well, you would go first to the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Do you remember this in the Bible? The Sadducees and the Pharisees believed differently. What did the Sadducees believe about death? Do you remember this? The Sadducees believed, um, I, I think it's Acts 26 to go, um, the Sadducees believed what? 
Exactly, exactly. And where do you find this in the Bible? I think it's Acts 26. Um, let me see, because uh, I, I have it written down somewhere in all my thousands of pages of notes that I meticulously, weirdly take. Um, Acts 23, I'm sorry, Acts 23, Acts 23, 6, Acts 23, 6, and Paul is speaking to this, like, speaking in front of this, I guess you would call it, plethora of an audience, and as he's speaking, they start to, like, get mad at him, and what does he say? He realizes that there's some Sadducees and some Pharisees, and so he's going to trick them, and he's going to turn them against each other, and what does he say? 23, 6 of Acts. Yes, yes. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Exactly. Um, and, and whose Bible translation has something like in parentheses, and it says something like because the Pharisees believed in it and Sadducees didn't. Does anybody have that? Okay. Yeah. Boom. Exactly. So they had this different belief even among them to where they had some believed in it, some said, no, I don't believe in it. And so when you sit back and look, you say, okay, well, where else would you go? Like, why can some people have, have different beliefs than others? And when I was thinking about it, I came to this conclusion. I came to this conclusion. I said that all believers are not equal. That's, that was my conclusion. Because sometimes, like a new believer, someone who just gets saved, whether they're 43 or 8, someone who just gets saved and just starts reading the Bible is not going to have as much Bible knowledge as someone who has been saved for over 40 years. So... Sometimes beliefs can vary because of that, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll, I'll show you what I mean. Um, go to 1 Corinthians 3, um, 2. 1 Corinthians 3, 2. And it's this whole idea of, of going from milk to meat. <clears throat> And when you get it, you can read it if you have it. First Corinthians three two. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And read the next verse. Simple nature. Simple nature. That's good. Yeah, exactly. And so it's this idea of going from milk to meat. And then I thought, so like, like an eight-year-old, or even if you're 43, and you just get saved, you're not going to have the Bible knowledge that someone has had for a long time. So your beliefs may be different until they can be conformed. But then I also thought, well, it doesn't just have to be someone who has just been saved. Sometimes people cannot, just like, they can be saved for 10 years and not open their Bible. Have you ever, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, if we've been saved both 10 years and I read my Bible every day and you read your Bible once a week when you're at church, who's going to be smarter at the end of the day? I promise you, I'm going to be smarter at the end of the day because I've read my Bible way more and that's where all wisdom comes from. You, have, you can have wisdom of other kind, the worldly wisdom, but it's actually foolish in the eyes of God, right? And so when you read this Bible, that's how you gain wisdom. And so... Like, and I was thinking, okay, well, I, I believe this. What's in a biblical example? And I would just say, go to Hebrews 5, uh, 2. In Hebrews 5, 2, it says, you should be, it's, uh, I don't know who's the author of Hebrews. A lot of people think it's Paul, but regardless, he says, you should be teaching other people by now. You, you've been saved for so long, and I'm still teaching you the basic things, and you should be teaching other people. But no, I'm teaching you. I think it's 5, 12. But I'm teaching you. 
And you should be teaching others because you've been saved so long. But what? You have not grown in, and this is what it says, in the Word of God. In the Word of God. And that's how, and I was, so I was just thinking, like, how do I say this? And then I read 1 Corinthians 12, um, 7. If you want to go there, and it was this idea of special knowledge. First Corinthians twelve seven. A spirit, a, a spiritual gift. Keep, yeah, keep on read. I'm sorry. Keep. Wise advice. Special knowledge. Okay, so I'm thinking. I'm thinking, okay. So one person is wise advice to other people with special knowledge to where they know things, and then keep on reading. It's it's also prophecy and. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's good, exactly. And so I was thinking, well, some people just God has given the ability to be smart, like to have special knowledge about things. And so when I thought about it, sometimes we as believers, we can have different ideas just like the Sadducees and the Pharisees did. That's okay. We can believe in post-millennium, millennium. We can believe in once they've always saved or not. We can, that, that's okay. And then sometimes we just don't read the Bible. Sometimes we haven't been saved long enough to read the Bible. Sometimes um, we're just too lazy to do it. And then thirdly, I thought, well, sometimes just the Spirit gives a special knowledge. And so those were my three conclusions about why believers can have different, different beliefs. So I hope. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad you said that. So let's say this. Let's say truth is not defined by what we believe. If I believe in gravity, so if I don't believe in gravity and I jump off this building, what's going to happen? Am I going to float because I don't believe in gravity? No, I'm going to drop to the ground. So truth is not defined by what we believe it or not. Truth just is. And we have to, we have to wrestle with that and interpret that in the context into the scripture and what it means, and we wrestle with that, and try, and that's why I think sometimes God gives special knowledge so we can actually say, like, what is the truth? But I, that's a great point that you brought up. The truth is not objective or reflective to, or subjective to what we think about it. Truth just is, and so interpretation. We we do our best to interpret things the best we can, and sometimes I interpret it different than you, and 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 we all interpret things differently. Good point. Good point. Um. Let me, let me, I love this. Do y'all love this? I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm about to probably blow your mind. Some people are like, yes, I love this. Some people are like, okay, no comment. <laughs> and that's okay, too. Um, we're almost done. I'm going to say one more thing. I'm going to say one more thing. And probably about to, my, here's my question. It's this. How did we get to where we are today concerning truth? Because I love what you just brought up. You brought up truth, right? How do we get to where we are today regarding truth? Because what do we say about truth today? We say truth is objective or relative. We say truth is relative and that there is no absolute truths. When I say we, we don't say that, obviously. But as a humanity, we say there are no absolute truths. And how do, how do we get here? I won't even write on the board. I'll just say this. In the 1300s, in the 1300s, rationalism held sway. Probably 13 to 1400s, rationalism held sway. And what rationalism taught is that is it taught that man is a thinking man to where men think. And then came the 17 and 1800s. And when they came, here's what happened. We turned from, from a thinking man to an imperialism, to an imperialist man, to where we don't believe anything unless we can test it into a lab. And so everything turned into scientific method. Science ruled the day. And then off of the backs of that came Immanuel Kant, even a Sigmund Freud, who would say, you know what? If you can't theoretically prove something, then it is not true. And when that happened, do you know the cause of what that was? What was the worst thing in the 20th century? You know, how, you, know, you know how many people we killed up to the 20th century? In, in all 20 centuries, or 19, leading up to the 20th century, we killed less than half, less than half 
of the people that we killed in only one century in the 20th century. We killed more, we killed double the amount of people in the 20th century than the previous 19. How come? And I believe it was because we said if you can't test it in a lab, then it's out. We thought, hey, truth has to be tested, no, no morality. To which I would ask, well, if you discover something in the lab, what, may, what, what, what makes you be truthful about that? And then, and then this, this is the saddest part. This is the saddest part. In the, two, in the 20th century, nihilists rose to the occasion and they began to define truth as emotional. And I'm trying to think of the best way to say this um, so that you can get it. The phrase, um, follow your heart, started to come. I'm almost done. Follow your heart, follow your heart. It was all about feelings and your emotions. So we went from a thinking man to a laboratory where we would test things to someone who is skeptical, to a skeptical saying there is no sense of morality. And then we went, well, okay, we're just going to throw all that away and we're going to follow our heart in the 20th century. Then we came to where we are living now in the 21st century with the rise of postmodernism. And here's what we taught. We just said, hey, forget it all. There is no truth. No truth is objective, and there are no absolutes except that the fact that there are no absolute truths. That is the only absolute truth. The absolutely true thing is that there are no absolute truths, and that's what we taught. And with it, and with it, three things left. Truth, meaning, and certainty. And when those three things left, our minds and our morality, you know what happened? You know what's the cause of it? For the first time in 75 years, guess what has happened? Our life expectancy has dropped for the first time in 75 years. And do you know why? Because of young people taking their own life. Because they feel that they have no truth, no meaning, to, meaning and no certainty about anything. And I think that's the result of where we found ourselves. I really do. Speaking of truth... Yeah, I don't fit in. That's right. That's right. I really believe that. All right, enough of that. Enough of that. Um, Drake, talk about something more interesting next time. I promise you I will. Um, this is interesting to me. And, yeah, it is. Is this the truth? Yep, Absolutely. Yes. That's right. That and that. Well, let me go back to Miss Lisa's point. She talked about interpretation the other day. And do you know how? Do you, you know what some people get away? How they? What they do when they take the Bible? They say they interpret they. And it's, 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 it's people. That's right. I'll read it how I want to read it. And what's true to me is true to me. But I'll take you back to. They will. And I'll take you back to your belief on truth has no, not one flame to truth itself. That even if I don't believe in gravity, if I walk off this building, I'm about to die or break a leg. Because gravity is going to take over. Has no meaning. Has no meaning. 